0: You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Alex Friedman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, you're the co founder, co CEO of Lola. It's a feminine care brand. Started online. You've launched in 2015. Is that correct?
1: Yep, that's right. July 2015.
0: Tell us a little bit about about Lola and and why you created it.
1: Sure. So when we started to get the brand off the ground in 2015 and 2016, my co-founder had asked me a question, a very simple question, have you ever wondered what's in a tampon? And she had kind of started thinking about the concept for this business and came to me and said, hey, we are women who get our periods every month, yet. Every month we're running to the store. We don't have what we need when we need it. Boxes aren't customized to women's needs. Um, And also, I can't figure out what's in a tampon. And, you know, I went right to Google and did as much research as I possibly could to figure out what was in the products I had been using for my entire life and realized I couldn't figure it out because the FDA doesn't actually require tampon brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients. And at that moment, we realized we could create a really special brand for women with ingredients transparency as the primary tenet and share what was in the products that we were using on a monthly basis. And that's really when Lola was born. And we brought it to market early summer um, 2015 with one product, organic cotton tampons, and since then have built what has become a brand for menstrual care and sex for women. And over time, we hope will become a lifelong brand for women.
0: So I want to come back to all of these different things, but now you've piqued my curiosity. I would have assumed that it's mostly cotton, but what, what is in a tampon?
1: Sure. So, um, (laughs) the, the interesting thing is that I can't tell you exactly what's in all the products on the market because there is no required ingredients disclosure. So, for the most part, for our lives, we haven't ever really asked the question and haven't known what what's in the products. And um, Lola, um, you know, I, we as a brand believe that women deserve to know a hundred percent of what's in each product. So our our tampons are made with a hundred percent organic cotton, which is distinct from what's on the market today.
0: What's not maybe what's not in your tampons that are in some other tampons that you've heard of out there?
1: Synthetic fibers. So ours are you know, made with natural fibers. Cotton is a fiber that we use in all other aspects of our lives and put on our bodies at a lot of other points in our lives versus, you know, if you look at the side of a box of another brand, it might say something like made with and list out rayon, polyester, among another a number of other ingredients.
0: So before starting Lola, you were working as a consultant at Boston Consulting Group in an analytics company that Yahoo acquired Flurry Analytics what were some of the things that drew you towards that? And it sounds like Jordano, your your co founder, had some ideas. Like, what was the story of you know you two meeting and and taking those experiences that you had into this new company?
1: Sure. So coming out of business school in 2011, I had an idea that I wanted to work at a small business. I had. Previously, before school, worked at two companies that were relatively small, 30 people each, um, where I you know, really got to know the people and the mission, knew I liked that environment. But coming out of school, wanted to get a sense for bigger organizations, join one and be exposed to a lot of them. So I joined Boston Consulting Group as a consultant and spent a few years there, getting exposed to a lot of different industries and functions within businesses, different styles of leadership. And really enjoyed the experience there, but always felt like I really wanted to get my hands dirty as an operator. And so I I jumped over to Flurry Analytics, where I helped manage and run one of their products, Flurry Analytics, the namesake of the business, and really enjoyed working on a small team and growing something. And while I was there, actually met my co-founder. We were introduced the summer of 2014. And she was coming out of business school and had this great idea. And we just started riffing on it together. And I started working with her just for fun, you know, because I was passionate about the idea and couldn't believe I didn't know what was in the products that I had been using for decades. And from there, we just developed such a a quick, strong working relationship that I decided to go into business with her.
0: What made you confident that you could actually physically make these products? I mean, they're you know just going from that experience of you know working at a software company working at a consulting company that doesn't necessarily train you for that aspect of the business
1: that's very true um so you know we had a lot of confidence about the market need from doing consumer research and talking to you know hundreds thousands of women and we had a good sense for the brand we wanted to build and what the online experience would be and what the product look and feel would be but we certainly didn't have experience with manufacturing and so you know we did what we could do which was we searched the globe for manufacturing partners we trusted to produce the products we we weren't planning to recreate the wheel at the very beginning because there are suppliers, notably in Europe, that produce products of incredible quality with 100% cotton that we were able to find. And so we went with folks who were incredibly experienced in manufacturing these products to begin with. We needed strong partners. And that's that's an ethos that we've taken to every area of the business. We do as much as we can personally and then find expert partners who can add a lot of value to every aspect of the business.
0: You mentioned that you had done some research with hundreds or thousands of women. What was that process like?
1: So we, what we wanted to do was make sure that there was an actual need and desire to have a brand in Feminine Care that talked to women the way they wanted to be talked to and provided Um, natural products. And we wanted to make sure that women cared about customizing the box and having it delivered to their home. And, you know, every aspect of what we were building, we personally felt the need for, but we knew we needed to validate with a lot of conversations. So we started by having one-on-one conversations. Then we had 15, 20 focus groups where we would invite groups of women to our homes or to friends' homes and really kind of get into it for a few hours about, you know, what women liked and didn't like about their their current tampon brands and what they needed and then we did broad based surveys both through our networks as well as you know with complete strangers to make sure that we could really get a sense of trends how price sensitive were women how much did they feel that they needed another brand in this category if they didn't feel that they needed another brand but were presented with another would they be interested and A lot of the early day decision making was based on our gut and experience as lifelong consumers, but we really needed to make sure that we understood what, you know, the masses wanted.
0: I would love for you to walk us through, you know, the nitty gritty of actually putting that stuff together. Like, what did you use to invite women that you didn't know to either participate in a survey or come to a focus group? Did you pay them? Did you, what did you, what was the the pitch? How did that even work?
1: Yeah. So we, um, <laughs> so we have no pride. So we really were just trying to get as many women as we could to participate. Um, with the focus groups, we sat down one day and we made a list of you know, 15 or 20 friends that we felt like would be really excited to be involved. It didn't have to be people who we knew would love the mission or love the brand or be obsessed with what we were doing. Just people who would be excited to learn more um, and engage their own communities on a new exciting business idea. And so with that short list, we reached out to all of them individually and we asked them, Hey, would you be open to hosting a focus group at your house? inviting 10 or 12 of your friends who we may or may not know. We'll foot the bill for wine and cheese and we'll come and we'll host the focus group, but it will be at your home setting with your friends. Let us know. And everybody was excited. I think, Hmm. you know, there aren't a lot of times in your life where your good friends are trying to start something out of nothing and raising a question about a product that you for some reason have never thought about before. So we received a lot of excitement and held all the focus groups that way where we would show up with wine and cheese, um, and an agenda. And, you know, at first there were a lot of icebreakers. We tried to start by having everybody tell the story of their first period, or share something else about the brands that they used or what they wanted in the category and people were a little bit shy at first but once one or two people shared the floodgates opened and I remember those nights so fondly there was just <laughs> so much laughter now
0: i understand why the wine is involved as well
1: <laughs> yeah people i think women really open up about these topics once once they have an example of other other women opening up
0: did you have experience running focus groups from you know your work before that?
1: I didn't have experience with focus groups, but I had a lot of experience with survey writing and primary research. And some of that, I think, came through. And we learned as we went. I think, you know, our agenda and list of questions for the first few focus groups were much longer than they were towards the end. Eventually, we got very targeted and knew what we were looking for and were confirming rather than learning for the first time.
0: I think focus groups get a bad rap these days because everyone has like there's like the meme of Steve Jobs reiterating the the quote from Ford saying like if I asked people what they wanted they would have said a faster horse or something like that and, yeah. and there's that there's that side of it where you're like it's important to have a direction and trust your gut and like have an instinct or have an opinion that maybe is different from what people expect but I think that there's, there's definitely something to be said about like asking customers or potential customers what they want.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's 50 50, right? When we were describing what we were trying to build, we would tell the women at the focus groups that we were going to create a brand that was more sophisticated. You know, the visual of the box was going to be clean and simple and look like the other products you have in your bathroom. And for the most part, women said they didn't really care, you know, they didn't care that the boxes of tampons they currently had in their bathrooms were bright and neon. They said, we just throw it under the sink. It it really doesn't impact us. But once we then introduced our packaging to the market, those same women told us we were wrong. We love having this in our bathrooms. Like I leave this on my toilet now. I'm not embarrassed about it. So there were, there was some feedback that we had to disregard. We knew that by elevating the brand and making the packaging something more special, and making the whole experience more more okay, um, that women would would feel better about it and have more like affiliation with their brand and ownership of the experience. And then there were some things that we learned from women that were spot on, and you know it was clear that we should bake that into the process.
0: Yeah, what, what were some of those things that you learned that were unexpected?
1: So, I mean, one of them was that. Most women we talked to cared a lot about having the right SKUs. So if you go to like a drugstore and you buy a box of tampons and you get a multi-pack, there is a predetermined count that you are stuck with. And some women don't use lights. Some women don't use supers. And everyone in all of the focus groups was laughing so hard they were crying about taking a handful of tampons out of the box every time and throwing it in a drawer or a closet because Mm -hmm. part of the box didn't apply to them. And so we created a customized feature on our site where you can customize down to the SKU. And everyone was really excited about that. And then as it turned out, a majority of our customers customize their box assortment on our website. And that's you know a completely unique feature to our brand.
0: Yeah. I think the, the point you mentioned before about the packaging is totally true. We actually at the Lumi office have Lola tampons out in the bathrooms. And to me, getting it to the point where it's, it's a feature. It's like you wouldn't hide having toilet paper or other amenities. It's it's a thing. If you, if you need that, you can use it.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> um, this brings me to a, a topic we were joking about before we started recording, which is, well, you recently announced that you raised uh, a big fundi- fundraising round of $24 million. We happen to have investors in common in Spark Capital. What was it like talking to VCs who are primarily male, I know <laughs> my co-founder jesse is is a woman has you know had all of the experiences you can imagine with that, but I'm curious when you're pitching something that is so personal to women and your audience doesn't really understand that what what is that conversation like?
1: It's evolved over time um, I think so we've raised funding four times a friends and family around seed series A, and series B. Uh, we've essentially raised once a year since we started the business, and I think that the conversation has evolved a lot since we started. When we first began, almost all of our initial meetings with investors were really about education. It's been interesting to talk to other founders about how typically when they walk into a room with a potential investor, the investor has at least some sense of what the product could be used for, some personal experience with it or even just general understanding of the market but for the most part we were pitching you know a tampon business to non consumers and you know to people who never have even seen or held a tampon and in a lot of instances, we found that education was the most important way to spend the first at least 30 minutes of getting to know someone new. So we would walk into a meeting. Most of them were in restaurants over coffee to start order a glass of water. And we would actually dunk tampons and water at the table just to show what a tampon does (laughs) inside a woman, because you know it was something that uh, the people that we were talking to had never really thought about. So You know, we found some of those meetings kind of fun and funny. We also have received certainly a lot of pretty funny questions, like you know, I see that you have 18 tampons in a box. Uh, Will that last a woman for 18 periods? And you know, at first I think we laughed. On average, women use 13 or 14 tampons each period. But it was just incredible to us that because the you know the topic of periods and tampons is so undiscussed that. You know, half the population doesn't know anything about them. So we we found the meetings actually really fun and a great way to understand um, <laughs> what we were up against and how to really make sure that everyone we were meeting with knew everything they needed to know to make a smart investment decision.
0: And did you find that they were responsive to the market and, and the opportunity?
1: Absolutely. I think the meetings were actually really fun because we got to talk about you know, topics that don't typically get discussed. We even had a slide called Vaginas 101, where we would kind of share the basics of women's reproductive uh, organs and processes. Yeah. And I think people are really responsive to that. We developed strong relationships from the outset, you know, share a laugh at the beginning of the meeting. And, you know, there were meetings unlike any other, I think. So they were memorable. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, the dynamics of our business are really sound. We are selling, you know, the product to women that makes the most sense to sell in a subscription model. We have a really strong recurring revenue powered business. Women need the products every 28 days and are happy to continue to receive them. There's very low churn. And so it really felt like a great opportunity to innovate in a category that would respond well to it.
0: One of the values that you, you mentioned at the outset is just transparency, transparency in the, the products that you manufacture, but also the topics that you're talking about. You're building a community through you know, various social media, as well as your, um, your, your publication, the, the broadcast. Talk a little bit about that value and like how it manifests itself throughout your company
1: like the key, the key thing that we're bringing to market here is ingredients, transparency. And you know, the the whole reason that the brand got off the ground is because of a very simple question about what's in a product. And, you know, I'm a woman who knows what's in the food I eat and know what's in all the other products I use. Why can't I find out what's in this product? And I think that that frustration with lack of transparency has really, powered a lot of things at our business and, um, put us on a path to make sure that everything we do is a hundred percent direct and transparent. And so we're, you know, we share all of our ingredients on the box and on the website with our community. And we like to talk about things in a real way. So, you know, over the course of a woman's reproductive journey from her first period to when she starts having sex to when, She's thinking about her fertility to when she's pregnant, postpartum. I mean, every moment in your life, there's stigma and, you know, not enough discussion. And what we want to do as a brand is just have those conversations, not in any way other than just being direct and real about it. And I think that our Instagram and our content on our blog really try to express that in a way that is hard you know, with products only. And so from a content perspective, we try to publish subjects about health and wellness, first person stories and experiences, and just try to shed light on topics that go undiscussed to the detriment of women's health.
0: You have a kit on your website for uh, my first period, I think it's called. Yes. Um, that's a re- really fascinating choice as well. How did you go about designing that product?
1: So the first period kit was really our first foray into marrying content with our product mix. And we talked to a lot of parents over the course of the first year, year and a half in business and could see and remembered from our own personal experience that there's a moment in a woman's life um, that typically doesn't have enough materials or education or conversation. And a lot of girls get their first period and, um, don't know who to talk to there. They may or may not be with a parent or somebody that can explain what's happening to them. They may or may not have been prepped in advance. And we believe as a brand that every girl deserves to feel prepared for her first period. And so we put together a beautiful box filled with all of our period products. So tampons, pads, and liners, and also wrote a uh, book called Lola's Personal Honest Real Life Guide to Your First Period, which is really a guide both for parents as well as girls to try to facilitate a productive conversation. And I think you know, something that we've seen that's been so exciting as a result of this is that we've actually gotten unboxing videos, which is not something we expected, but we're starting to create these really special moments with parents and daughters where there's open dialogue and there's no embarrassment. And we're able to facilitate that great conversation that gets girls on a good path to feeling comfortable and not feeling stigma at the first moment.
0: Yeah. When I think back to that question that you got from a VC that said, you know, is this 18 count box going to last 18 periods to me that's like a real failure of the like educational system i guess that mm-hmm. that someone got through life to that point and you know didn't know that and i wonder when you think about maybe single fathers or like i know that you recently released condoms as well like what's the role of men in your company and in your brand like how do you see that the educational aspect of what you're bringing influencing parenthood on the on the father's side or or men in general in their relationship with their their spouses or significant others
1: yeah so to us for it to be a productive conversation and to remove stigma and to really just make these topics more commonplace and get women the information they need on these topics. It has to be a conversation among everybody for periods in particular. When, when you have a single father, our product is able to actually facilitate a conversation, um, between two people who both may not have all the information they need to have that conversation with sex products. We really have opened up a much broader conversation to really try and drive conversation in the bedroom about, you know, what's on this product? Um, what is the lubricant that comes on the condom? And should I be putting it in my body? Why haven't we ever talked about wipes? <laughs> uh, you know, all the conversations that kind of are undiscussed today, we think we're, we're creating a forum and products for it. And we hope that all genders and are, are involved in the conversation.
0: I feel like that comes with so much responsibility, especially these days. Like people have a lot of opinions on on every side of the equation on this. How do you manage that? How do you with your like content team make sure that the wording is is written the right way and like engaging the conversation in the right way?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as a brand, we're trying to be candid and empathetic um, and, and direct and not. Not conceal information. Share what's needed to be known. And I think, of course, in subject matters that are touchy or there's stigma, you know, there're gonna be people that feel like they're getting rubbed the wrong way um, by some of the topics. And our brand and our guardrails are really. Um, our guiding light to make sure that we're expressing everything the way that we think is the most productive. And so we as a team talk all the time about the tone of voice and the type of content we share and you know what is the most productive to drive a good, healthy conversation. And we stick by those things.
0: Are there things that are, are on the no-no list of like things that you should never do if you're speaking in the low voice trying to communicate something? We never
1: pass judgment. You know, what we're trying to do is elicit open dialogue because we think the more things get talked about, the more solutions are found and the more people are able to make informed choices. So we approach all of the topics which are sensitive from a place of empathy and openness and willingness to engage no matter where it's coming from or who it's coming from. Because at the end of the day, we believe that all people deserve the right to know what's in their products and um, should be able to make conscious decisions. And so all information can and should be surfaced.
0: You and your co-founder have a, also a unique relationship. You're co-CEOs. That's something that you don't yep. see super often. How does that work? How, how do you divide up responsibilities? How did that come about?
1: So it, it has flown naturally from us. From the moment we started working on the business together, we just felt like partners. And didn't feel the need to like over engineer a structure because at other businesses we saw for the most part there was one person at the helm. It just has always felt very natural for us to be in in this type of partnership. And, you know, over the years, as the business has grown and we've added to the team and added new products and developed content, it has been such an advantage, I think, for us to have such a solid partnership and be able to Co-own or distinctly own and trade ownership of different areas of the business back and forth and be flexible. Um, and it's also been a really, I think, powerful example to set to our team, who is constantly taking on new ownership and handing off projects that they managed for years to other people as we grow. That we're able to to display that same thing that it's about building the best business we can build, and we're all working as a team. So it's been really wonderful. And I think we've learned a lot from each other too. And we're lucky to have found this situation.
0: Does it ever lead to situations where people don't know who to go to?
1: Um, I think over time, we definitely have had to like work through different moments of who's, who's the decision maker here or um, who makes the final call. But for the most part, we're very aligned and very comfortable with one of us providing direction. And over time, I think we've learned to make much more clear delineations over who owns what at the business so as not to confuse the team because I do think that that is a risk in this structure. And so we each kind of independently own different aspects of the business. and, I think at this point, it's running very smoothly. And the team knows who to go to for what. And the thing that is most important, therefore, is our connection and making sure that we're always fully aligned and aware so that we can each operate different aspects of the business.
0: Is there a side that you find yourself particularly drawn to? Are there types of tasks or areas that you find interesting more than others?
1: I think we both love the whole business and at this point have each managed every single pillar of the business, but the way that we structure it today is that um, I'm owning more of the kind of day-to-day, week-to-week growth, tech, operations, um, and is managing more of the long-term brand and product strategy. And combined, it feels like a really strong way to operate, to have one of us more focused on kind of the very near term and the other focused on the very long term. And even in the last year, we've had a different structure and, you know, we'll continue to evolve with however the business needs us to.
0: How, how many people are at Lola currently? 24. And so after this big fundraising that you announced in um, in June, I'm sure there's like all kinds of different initiatives, but how do you think about building the team out from here?
1: Uh, it's basically all we think about. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, we've intentionally kept the team very lean and focused from the beginning and we have a a clear roadmap for adding, you know, probably 10 folks to the team in the near term. But what we like to do is make sure that, you know, we have a tight list of priorities. We know what we're building toward in 2018, 2019, 2020, we know who we need on the team to get there. And you know, we, we take our time and we're very selective about making sure we get the right skill sets and the right people, uh, to get the job done.
0: When, so you launched the, um, the condoms and sex products earlier this year. Is that right?
1: Yes. In May.
0: That was, you know, a logical, but also a pretty big shift because you have a product that goes from being a single decision maker to maybe two. How, how did you think about expanding into that area?
1: So the goal for the brand in the long term is to develop a lifelong brand for women so that, you know, there is a brand that's there for her from the moment she gets her first period to her last hot flash and beyond is the vision for what we're trying to do. And we think that at every moment in a woman's reproductive life, you reach a new stage and suddenly you're unclear about what's next, what's happening to my changing body. And you feel like you're on an island, like you're the only person that's ever gone through it. But the reality of women's reproductive health is that it's completely universal and that every stage we get to, everyone else has mostly gotten to. But there's so much fear about talking about it and stigma. And so what we eventually want to do is be there for her at every life stage with products and content she can trust. And sex made sense as a next category because one, it's what our community wanted and was asking for. You know, if I now come to the realization that I didn't know what was in my tampon, well, what's what's on my what's in my lube? You know, what's on my condom? And so we were receiving a lot of questions about it. Um, and also, what we wanted to do was provide you know, the next logical step for our audience. And we've seen a a great amount of success with this category since launching it in early May. A lot of our community is now talking more openly about sex and purchasing these products. And we've seen, you know, a lot of multi-product purchasing, which is very important to our business because what we want to do is make sure that everything we introduce is relevant to our current community. And it really feels like, We hit the nail on the head. And at this point, now we're thinking about, okay, what are the additional SKUs and or products that we can offer within this category to make sure we're fully providing for her? And what comes next? Because we know that it doesn't end with periods and sex, but there are so many other aspects of a woman's reproductive health where she has questions and they're not being answered today.
0: Were there things that you were able to do with the launch of those products that just came from all of your experience doing the other products that that you wouldn't have known before that allowed you to like maybe skip over some some mistakes that you made previously.
1: What a great question I think. One thing that we did with the launch of this category was over time, we had learned the real value of conversation and how important it is to to drive an open, honest conversation about a new category as it launches to make sure that our community is really engaged and excited and will help spread the word. And so we did a, a pretty big brand campaign where we created essentially a sex hotline. And we had some women, doctors, celebrities share stories about their own sexual experiences, and you could call in and listen to them and then leave a question on the hotline and really try to drive engagement and conversation in conjunction with the launch of our products. And it was really exciting to see our community participate and share so openly. And I think that's something that, you know, we, we of course did, Uh, in the early days, but not in as big and like strong of a coordinated effort to really kind of build the brand in addition to the product at launch.
0: The hotline was a phone hotline or like email? How did it work?
1: It was a phone hotline, and we actually installed Lola Blue telephones um, at a mural that we, we painted for the occasion in Williamsburg. And so people could dial in nationally from their phones, or they could stop by the phones on the street and call in.
0: That's cool. How did you come up with that idea?
1: These are good questions. Um, We spent a lot of time brainstorming in a room uh, and we also worked with an agency partner who was very creative. And at some point the idea just clicked. I think it was a compilation of a lot of different ideas and just made sense to incorporate art and conversation and, you know, try and make something that really could expand the conversation nationally, but also have a local component because we're based in New York and um, care about that. So the whole thing came together really nicely and I think energized the team and community.
0: Was the customer service uh, team on the other end of the line? Who was on? Who was listening? Who was talking?
1: So so, people would call in. They would listen to stories and leave messages, um, but it wasn't it wasn't a live conversation. And then some of the messages have been returned, like our celebrities and doctors who participated, um, also volunteered to return some of the calls and have conversations with folks. That's cool, which is really cool. And then the rest, um, we're starting to incorporate some of the questions and content and make sure that we're able to answer um, any of the outstanding questions.
0: That's an amazing way to. To generate lots of interesting questions. This is sort of like a a focus group, but on a different uh, scale.
1: Exactly. And it really helps open our eyes to what people have questions about and make sure that we're not like in an insulated world here where we think we know what people want. It it was exciting. And, you know, women and men were involved in the conversation, leaving messages for the brand. And it was exciting to see. It was definitely a new moment for us.
0: What are the new questions that are coming up that you you're like, wow, I guess I've never thought about that before.
1: Um, <laughs> literally everything. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, questions about how soon after having a baby um, can I start having sex? Or have you had an experience like this? Or um, how can I talk to my partner about the way that this feels? Or hmm. I'm a certain age and I've never had sex before. Wh- how can I approach this conversation with a potential partner you know you know just a lot of nuanced ways of thinking about how to approach conversations i think a core theme really is how do i speak about this yeah which is telling that we spend our whole lives not talking about any, <laughs> any of these topics or a lot of people really go through life not communicating about reproductive health about periods about sex and You know, it's hard to even have the words sometimes to be able to have those conversations. And, you know, another interesting memory that that brings up is in our very early days when we were doing product testing and we had folks using Lola tampons and then telling us what they thought of the experience with the tampons and the applicator, we would do some video chats with customers just to understand what they thought of the products. And it was so hard to get specific product feedback because women don't even have the vernacular to talk Mm. about different aspects of the product. Like, what do you even call one half of the applicator versus another? Nobody talks about it, so there aren't words for it. And so, you know, we've really learned along the way that sometimes it's hard to communicate about specific topics related to the products in in reproductive health because there are no words to describe them.
0: And some of this stuff verges on Medical advice—you have to be careful about that, or do you have doctors on staff, or how does that work?
1: So we had doctors involved with the campaign, and we also have a medical advisory board um, where we have doctors with specific backgrounds involved in those conversations. We, as a brand, don't give medical advice.
0: Yeah, that—I don't even know really what the laws are around that. That's a thing you can't do, right?
1: Yeah, that's and that's not something that we're trying to do as a brand. Really, our mission here is to drive open conversation so that women can make informed decisions and try to provide the products and content for women um, that they can turn to and trust. And you know, so as a brand, uh, we love creating a community of medical experts and advisors that can engage and provide content and answer questions. But we're not out to you know be the doctor <laughs> for our customers
0: for for some reason this makes me think of there's a there's a help desk entry on the Lumi website that is one of the most popular pages on our entire website and it has n- really almost nothing to do with our company um, it has to do with the fact that part, I'm sure you've like experienced this but the USPS doesn't always do a great job of updating their website with like tracking information and it will sometimes say you know the label has been created and then there's some other message, but that's it, even if the package has been sent out. And so people kept asking us, like, what does this mean? What does this USPS message mean? So we just answered that question on our website. And now anyone who searches for that message on Google finds our website. So we will just <laughs> now we're just receiving USPS customer service from people who are like found that answer on our website and now are asking us. Someone, (laughs) I was looking at our customer service inbox and someone was like, I'm sending my application to university, to India, (laughs) and I found this message. What does it mean? This is a really important document I'm trying to send. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of didn't know what to say, Uh, but I feel like that's the kind of thing that is going to happen when you get involved with something that is really important to people, you know, like their bodies, and they're going to start asking questions that you may be shouldn't answer or don't know how to answer or don't want to take the responsibility for answering.
1: And I think that's where some of the community building aspects come into play. So for example, if you looked at Facebook at some of the videos that we've put up with like our founder story, you can see um, there are tens of thousands of comments on the videos and it's customers interacting with other customers, asking about their experiences. And really what we want to do is, you know, we don't have the answer for everything. We're not, we're not doctors, (laughs) but we can create a forum and a place where you can feel safe to find out what other people's experiences were like and find recommendations for the right doctors to see and really engage with other women who are feeling and thinking the same things that you are. And, also, had no place before to really have that conversation.
0: So, Lola is part of you know this big movement of direct-to-consumer brands that are taking over the world. Like, what are you seeing at a macro level with that movement? I- I'm sure that it has helped you a lot, um, you know, in recent times with the fact that people are comfortable with making that kind of purchase on a brand new company that they've never heard of and only operates online. Is there anything else that you're seeing about that trend uh, in the world that you've, I don't know, have some special insight on?
1: I mean, to us, so we think of direct-to-consumer really as a channel. It's not the special sauce about the brand. So really what we're bringing to market is an open conversation, um, products with full ingredients, transparency, and you know, an easier way to shop. And hopefully over time, as we continue to build the business, all the products and content she needs for her full reproductive life. And, you know, as we build, you know, right now our primary way to get to her is online because it is the most effective. It provides her customization and one-to-one contact. It enables her to communicate directly with us and really engage with the brand. But over time, you know, we're thinking about how to be there for her at every touch point. And I think the special thing about direct consumer is that it provides that direct channel and the companies that we see kind of benefiting the most from that are actively focused on building community and strengthening that relationship. And it's not You know, it's not just about the mechanism. Hmm. Direct-to-consumer is just a channel, but it's how you capitalize on it and build upon it to create a strong relationship that eventually enables you to sell to your consumer and engage with them wherever they are.
0: Does that mean experimenting with more physical retail type of stuff?
1: Yeah, maybe. You know, there are a lot of different ways to engage with her. And as we kind of think about the future, the thing that we like feel really strongly and comfortable with is that we have such a, such a great relationship with her. We know her specific product preferences and when she wants them. And, uh, you know, one in four customers has reached out to us to talk to us either about the product or the service or what they love about the brand or ask a question. We have that channel open and it gives us a lot of, uh, confidence to know what products to launch next and how best to engage with her in person through technology in a lot of different ways.
0: Between the time that you started Lola and now the Me Too movement happened, did that have an impact on your business? Is that something that you're noticing in the conversations that you're seeing or how did it affect you?
1: Um, I think that this moment in time is a very um, unique one, I think, for women. There's a lot of conversation about, (laughs) you know, literally everything you can think of pertaining to the women's movement and sexual harassment and women in the workplace. And for us, you know, our brand is really about helping women find their voice and conversation on specifically reproductive health and ingredients. And I think that in aggregate, everything that's happening around us has created, I think, a really special moment for women to have a strong voice. And we're happy that there are so many strong voices around us making a lot of headway on a lot of different issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, going back to the initial focus groups you're you're talking about and and women feeling shy about sharing some of these ideas I'm definitely seeing women around me I grew up with two sisters a lot of women in my life I see them opening up in ways that they didn't before and I think that that must be you know really exciting when you're building a community in that space
1: Yeah it's been really awesome to see and I think that you know, in general, the evolving openness that women have on social media has also helped to really drive forward a lot of different movements for women. For us in particular, it's been really exciting to see women openly sharing stories about their own reproductive journeys. And, you know, I think that in the future, it's just going to keep getting more and more open, which is
0: incredible. Cool. Well, so if people want to find out more about Lola, they can go to mylola.com and find all your products there. Lola on Instagram. Is there anything else you want to point people to?
1: Um, no, I think those are the two key places to check us out. Really appreciate it. And of course, you know, would love to hear feedback from folks who are interested in the brand or the products. We're always excited to hear from people.
0: Thank you so much, Alex.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for well-made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.